Hey friends, it's Kevin Pang here. Look, there are so many food magazines and recipe websites out there. I'm going to try to convince you that America's Test Kitchen is different. We spent nearly $11,000 to develop every recipe, and that's an actual figure. Like our Texas smoked beef brisket, for example. That took us two years and 500 pounds of beef just to nail down. So if you want to give our site a test spin, I'm happy to give you 14 days to poke around and try our ATK recipes. Go to atkpodcast.com and I'll set you up. All right, here we go. On to this week's show. So not too long ago, I was driving through the town of Buellton, California, not too far from Santa Barbara, and something I saw on a billboard made me nearly slam on my brakes. Buellton calls itself home of the split pea soup, the pea soup capital of the free world. Now, if that doesn't grab the attention of a food podcast host, nothing will. And it's all because of this beloved restaurant called Pea Soup Anderson's, which has been around since 1924. The food is roadside diner food, hearty breakfasts, chicken fried steaks, but it's their split pea soup that's really their brilliant marketing hook. And for the record, the soup is really tasty. If you're a small town looking for folks to stop through and spend a few bucks, attaching your town to a food item isn't the worst idea. Visit New Haven, Connecticut, home of the clam pizza. Have a key lime pie in sunny Key West, Florida. Come to Rochester, New York, home of the garbage plate. It's like a glop of chili on french fries. What about some of the lesser known food towns? What if I told you one guy in Manchester, New Hampshire, really wants his city to be known for its chicken tenders? Today on Proof from America's Test Kitchen, a man, a dream, and a chicken tender. I'm Kevin Pang. Thanks for listening. Stick around. Reporter Caleb Jagoda brings us today's story. I remember seeing the shirt for the first time, an eye-catching bright yellow with an anthropomorphic chicken tender sporting a cheeky smile. It's dunking itself in a paper condiment cup. Above it were the words, chicken tender capital of the world. Below, Manchester, New Hampshire, since 1974. I've lived in New Hampshire for years, but it's literally the first time I've ever heard of it. Was this a prank? or some sort of marketing ploy to bring attention to a restaurant. Before I knew it, I was assigned to write a story on the t-shirt and its creator, Manchester, New Hampshire native, Nick LaValle. When I spoke with Nick over the phone, he was wired, rambling about how chicken tenders have been there for him through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He made grand statements about the importance of chicken tenders to the city's culture. Like this. You aren't truly from Manchester unless you have a strong opinion about chicken tenders. <laughs> and this. Anyone that hears like my initiative to make Manchester the chicken tender capital of the world, no one disputes that. By the end of our call, I learned that Nick had started a full-fledged initiative. His goal? To officially declare Manchester the chicken tender capital of the world. 
He also told me that he'd go on a chicken tender crawl through Manchester with anybody. Just name the day and he'd be there. That wasn't an opportunity I was going to pass up. Nick has an endearing enthusiasm and a certain warmth that makes you feel like you're in his inner circle within a few minutes of meeting him. But still, I was a bit skeptical. Why, exactly, was he so hell-bent on informing the world on Manchester's apparent chicken-tender greatness? I read that he was a former stand-up comedian, and I wondered whether this was an attention grab to get more eyes on his comedy. There was only one way to find out, and see if the tenders lived up to the hype. I had to eat my weight in fried chicken while jaunting with the man as my guide through New Hampshire's Queen City. My name is Nick Lavalley. I'm on a quest in Manchester. I work for the mayor and the aldermen to declare Manchester, New Hampshire, the chicken tender capital of the world. Okay. Because it is. Since starting the Chicken Tender Initiative, Nick created a list of the top tendies in town that deserved recognition. While he wouldn't publicly endorse any one tender over the other, he did have a tier list ranking each one in order of historical and cultural significance. The Puritan Backroom Restaurant and Goldenrod Restaurant Drive-In made up the S tier. The original Red Arrow Diner held down tier A. And the Shaskeen Pub and Restaurant, along with Charlie's of Goffstown, sat in the B tier. On Nick and I's tender crawl, we hit each of these five restaurants, indulging in a few tenders each, talking up the owners, and getting into Nick's memories and personal attachments to all the restaurants. We'll be going a bit out of order here, but I want to take you to the Shaskeen Pub and Restaurant first, because it's a place that's important to understanding part of Nick's chicken tender origin story. In the late 2000s, Nick began moonlighting as a comic while working in municipality community media by day. Here's a music video he produced that debuted in 2011. Dap on, she wanna dap on. Maybe I should get healthy and take care of myself. And then maybe I might be loved by someone else. Dad bod, dad bod. Yeah, I'm just fat. Standing around five foot nine with buzzed blackish silver hair and squirrely eyes, his short and twitchy frame lends itself to the self-deprecating everyman he would embody in his comedy routine. After gaining some serious traction in Manchester, and then throughout New England, Nick started taking the trek to Chicago every few months to perform as many gigs as he could over the course of a weekend. By 2012, he was getting past, comedy lingo for your getting booked and noticed, by the acclaimed comedy club Laugh Factory, no less. Nick would go on to open for Bo Burnham, Andrew Dice Clay, and a laundry list of other big-time comics. But it all started at Manchester's Shaskeen Pub and Restaurant, where he frequented open mics and later co-hosted a comedy night. I love being a New Hampshire dude. I really do. I think we have some of the most fascinating places in the planet, right? Fun fact about Laconia, did you guys know that that's the only place in the world where you can get into a fight with a biker and a 12-year-old over the same skee-ball machine? <laughs> The Shaskeen Pub and Restaurant is on Elm Street, the heart of Manchester's downtown. Deep red and black paint coats the walls, dark wood lines the bar and tabletops, and Irish music plays softly on loop. All the fixings of an intimate neighborhood watering hole. I asked the co-owner, Neil Brown, about Nick's early days. I got to know him when he was doing comedy here. So, I mean, we're going on like 10 plus years. 
Wow, that's pretty cool. It must have been cool to see his art, you know, as he... To see his come. art and to see Nick go through his personal transformation as well is, is interesting. I was out there playing skee-ball. I think I'm kicking ass. I turned the 12-year-old next to me. I was like, dude, you, you've got to be jealous. He's like, why? I was like, look at all the tickets that I'm with. This kid's like, I got way more tickets than you, bruh. <laughs> I got defensive. I was like, dude, I'm a grown-ass man. I could drink beer. I could drive a car. This kid looks at me. He goes, yeah, you could, but you're at fun spot playing skee-ball with a f***ing 12-year-old. This personal transformation Neil refers to represents a huge turning point in Nick's life. As Nick got deeper and deeper into the stand-up comedy scene, he realized he did not like who it was making him. Self-deprecation became not only a tool on stage, but a crutch off of it. It was hurting his self-confidence and making him deeply unhappy. And it was like driving for you know several hours to do a show like in Bangor, Maine or something and like if I didn't want the hotel or they didn't give me one or whatever it's like I'm driving four hours back by myself thinking about how I said these terrible things about myself that may or may not be true to elicit laughter yeah. and then I'm riding back in my car yeah. alone yeah it's kind like, of tearing yourself down for life. yeah and for what and it's I just, you do that, you do that enough, you start believing it. That's how a lot of people look at Manchester, too. It's a gritty city built on old infrastructure and blue-collar work, prone to self-effacing and dwelling on the negatives. Some parts of New Hampshire are seeing a spike in opioid overdoses. A man who accidentally set his shirt on fire highlights the safety concerns that officials have about a homeless encampment in Manchester. Manchester's gotten a bad rap as somewhere you want to steer clear of while enjoying the rest of idyllic New England. And if Manchester residents started telling themselves that, then they might have started believing it too. Nick wanted to turn that narrative on its head. So why not take that principle and apply it to things that bring people joy? Like, did you know Manchester, New Hampshire is the chicken tender capital of the world? Mm-hmm. You say that enough, people will believe it. Each restaurant in Nick's tender tour holds some deeply personal significance for him. He got his start doing stand-up at the Shaskeen Pub and Restaurant. He whiled away many a summer evening munching on tenders in Goldenrod Drive-In's parking lot. He ended nights of debauchery midnight snacking on Red Arrow Diner tenders. And, of course, there was the endless list of life milestones met at the Puritan Backroom Restaurant, something virtually every Manchester resident has in common. The Puritan, according to Nick in local lore, is the very birthplace of the chicken tender. And that's where we're going next. So here we are, man. This is it. This is the Puritan. Walking into the Puritan backroom restaurant, we're met by a massive sprawl of booths and tables capable of seating 240 people. Blonde oak tables stretch for miles. Maroon vinyl covers every seat in the house. Soon after we're seated, some patrons walk by to take a closer look at Nick's t-shirt. Chicken tender capital of the world. That's what he said. Manchester, Yes. That's awesome. And, and I just read, that's what they should name it instead of the Queen City. 
Uh, Isn't the guy that started this a comedian or something? The guy is right here. Hi, That's you. There he is. My name is Nick Lavalley. I'm a former comedian. Oh, see, you are half He's not You're funny right. anymore. I'm not. <laughs> and you know what? Was I ever? I'm not funny anymore, he says. Was I ever? Nick still wrestles a bit with the self-deprecation, but his disarming nature here made it seem like he was right at home. And, in a way, he was. Weddings, birthdays, sports banquets, memorial services, you name it, people go to the back room to celebrate it. Nick's first chicken tender memory, as he recalls, was in seventh grade at Robin Green's bat mitzvah at the back room. And it wouldn't be his last. How many times do you think you've been here? Oh, wow. There's no way to measure that. There's, there's, yeah. certainly, there's certainly no way to measure how many times I've had backroom takeouts. Um, I'm sure I've been here a couple hundred times to dine in. Yeah. Right? I mean, I've been here for four decades. This is by no means a rarity for a backroom customer. Just ask Travis York, a Manchester resident who grew up in nearby Bedford. I caught up with Travis on the phone per Nick's recommendation. I was looking for avid tender fans, and Travis is as passionate as they come. I would have to guess it's over a thousand times in my life I've been to the Puritan back row. And he adds this caveat. But here's the crazy thing. I doubt we're even in the top, like, 100 customers at the back row. <laughs> I mean, there's absolutely people that are there daily. Or almost every time I go in there, they're there. Um, so as much as we eat there and it's a regular component of our life, uh, there's others that are even more consistent and loyal to it and are, are older than us and have probably been doing it longer. Tracing the backroom's history to the very beginning, the Puritan Confectionery opened in 1917. It was a candy and ice cream shop on Manchester's Hanover Street. While candy shops aren't necessarily a popular business model today, Manchester historian John Clayton says they had a real moment in the early 1900s. That's when immigrants began moving into the city and started their own communities as American transplants. Think about it. Would you rather make denim for Levi's or make candy? <laughs> you can eat candy. <laughs> John's referring to early denim manufacturing at the Amiskeague Mills in Manchester. The first denim ever created for Levi Strauss & Co. jeans was made at the Amiskeague in the late 1800s. It was powered by the flow of the Merrimack River and the mill yard's impressive looms. In the 1840s and 50s, when the Amiskeague Manufacturing Company began its first period of rapid growth, Canadians caught wind of the need for labor and immigrated south. Greek immigrants followed some years later, eager to escape the political turmoil in their homeland. But, like John said, not every immigrant wanted the hard-wrought mill life. With a newly thriving economy and growing communities, other opportunities presented themselves. But why, exactly, candy shops? They did it for their own independence, for one thing. Uh, if you came here and worked at Amoscape, you were subject to all the rules and regulations they might have on their workers in terms of how long your lunch can be, uh, what time do you have to be at work, forced um, overtime, you have to work overtime. So, it was about autonomy. If the immigrants had to work 16 hours a day, at least it was going toward their own business and not earning a low hourly wage in a smog-filled mill yard. According to John, working within your own community was a popular decision in those days. There was community interaction at the storefront and conversations in your native language. That, and it didn't require the technical skill working a high-powered loom did. 
You could also eat your merchandise if worse came to worst. Not so much with denim. The Puritan confectionery, started by Greek immigrants Arthur Pappas, Louis Canadis, and Charles Gouliamis, saw enough success to open a full restaurant in 1919 on Elm Street. Business was booming, and the Puritan opened a drive-in hot dog and ice cream stand at their present-day Hooksett Road location in 1939, according to Arthur. In 1970, they opened a seating area for fast food, and in 1974, they added a backroom portion. It was now a full family restaurant with the front room designated for takeout and ice cream. Shortly after opening the Puritan's back room, second-generation owner Charlie Pappas had a revelation. His son, Arthur, the third-generation owner of the Puritan back room, explains. On the menu, we had a boneless breast of chicken, you know, barbecue lamb, sandwiches, and some other things. And the chicken company we were dealing with, poultry products at the time, was more than happy to do the chicken for us. But after a couple of weeks, he said, I keep getting all these little pieces of chicken I don't know what to do with. It. And my dad said, oh, no, no problem, I'll figure it out. Charlie decided to take those chicken scraps and marinate, bread, and fry them. Something nobody had done before, according to Arthur. He then sold them as an entree unto themselves. What began as a modestly popular menu item, selling 50 or 100 pounds a week, turned into their bestseller and definitive calling card. Today, the backroom can sell over 2,000 pounds of tenders a day. This is all thanks to Charlie's light bulb idea to get sustainable and use a previously discarded chicken strip. Beyond a simple money-saving method, Charlie gave birth to a recipe that would become beloved by an entire city. Stopping by the back room with Nick was my first time trying Manchester chicken tenders. I was absolutely flabbergasted. The delicate, lightly greasy, hot breading gives way to a juicy, quite literally tender cut of meat. This wasn't a kid's menu meal you feed a picky 10-year-old to appease their palate. This was a full-on entree with a unique flavor profile unlike anything I had tasted before. So what is it that makes their chicken tenders taste so damn good? It's got a sweetness to it, and so that's, that's part of what makes it popular. Arthur is laughably tight-lipped about the Puritan's chicken tender recipe. He's an old-school New Englander, born and raised in Manchester. Talking quietly, almost under his breath, you get the feeling Arthur doesn't particularly mind if you don't hear him. He keeps his cards close to his chest. And when it comes to his family's famous chicken tender recipe, let's just say those cards aren't leaving the Pappas deck. Asking around town, though, is a different story. I'll let the people tell it. You know, I think we've all learned that uh, that's what the Puritan started. They soak them in pineapple juice. I think, you know, the rumor is it's marinated in some sort of uh, pineapple juice. I guess they marinate the chicken in pineapple juice before they batter it and fry it. I won't come out right and say it so that I can stay in Arthur's good graces, but the secret ingredient used at the Puritan isn't so secret. While the average Manchester resident may know the backroom's special sweetener, they don't know how much of it is used or what other ingredients go into the mix. Arthur is one of a small handful of people who are in the know. He learned from his dad in 1975 and has been making four to seven batches a week ever since. Each batch makes 18 gallons of marinade, so you do the math. That's around 100 gallons a week of sweet, sweet, tender marinade. But according to Arthur, 
that doesn't even come close to the amount they make of their most popular sauce, their adored duck sauce. I know what you're thinking. Duck sauce is a condiment you find at Asian restaurants in America. It's usually used to complement crab rangoons and egg rolls. Why in the world would the Puritan backroom offer it with their tenders? Well, as Arthur tells it, it was his dad's razor-sharp ingenuity. When he first premiered the chicken tender in 1974, he figured it would need some sort of dipping sauce. Instead of using ketchup or mustard or something that already existed, he figured, why not just make my own? So he took an already existing duck sauce and infused it with a few ingredients, one of which, Arthur admits, is apricots. Thin and wispy in texture, the Puritan's duck sauce coats the tender in a light, translucent sweetness. It pairs with the marinade and crunchy breading to create a sweet and salty harmony. Nearly 50 years later, and Manchester residents insist it's the only way to eat a chicken tender. Remember the bright yellow shirt Nick was selling to promote his initiative? The animated chicken tender featured on its front is seen dunking itself in a condiment cup. And that condiment isn't just any anonymous dressing. According to Nick, it's definitively duck sauce. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I think it's a crime to put uh, anything other than the house duck sauce on a backroom or goldenrod tender. I think it's a crime. Another indispensable element of the Puritan backroom chicken tender is its breading. Your average everyday chicken tender is what Nick calls a dry tender, covered end-to-end in a thick, crunchy breading that, in a worst-case scenario, obscures the flavor of the meat. Needless to say, that's not how the Puritan operates. Nick explains. It's not heavily battered. <laughs> so, like, the crisp is, like, it's just an, it's just enough crunch. It's somewhere between a crisp and a crunch, right? Yeah. Like, it's, I wouldn't say it's lightly battered, but it's not like it's heavily battered. You know, sometimes This expert breading job is the mark of a true artisan. And it's not even something Arthur handles himself. He leaves it to the fry guys, as he calls them. I need a guy who's a good shaker. A good shaker, in Arthur's words, is a fry guy who knows how to identify and execute the perfect ratio of breading to chicken so that loose breading won't fall off the tender and settle at the bottom of the fry basket. When you're making 2,000 pounds of chicken tenders a day, minutia like errant breading piling up in a fry later makes a world of difference. That's why, in Arthur's kitchen... A good fry guy is a guy who knows how to shake. Sort of like a good dancer. Good dancers would be good fry guys. (laughs) They really know how to shake. (laughs) With a top-secret marinade, a -a one-of-a-kind duck sauce, and a few good shakers in the kitchen, the Puritan has made its mark as a Manchester staple revered for its chicken tenders. In 106 years of business and still going strong, it's been a ballast for so many Manchester residents. As Nick told me, Puritan tenders have been there for him through the highest of highs and, as he experienced during his personal transformation, the lowest of lows. I am trying to take better care of myself, though. Uh, Last year, I lost 65 pounds, guys. Then part of this weight loss journey is I also quit drinking alcohol. No applause. That sounds about right. Thank you, Manchester. No, it's fine. Around 2020, Nick began withdrawing himself from the comedy world. He was exhausted from emotionally mutilating himself for an audience's benefit night in and night out. 
recalling what he said to those backroom patrons who inquired about his shirt when we first sat down in our seats. Nick tells me, Was I ever funny? Um, I gotta work on that. Was I ever funny? I've gotta work on that, he says. Not being self-deprecating. Mm. That's something I've struggled with. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I stopped doing stand-up, I was just burnt out on, uh, like, using self-deprecating humor as a crutch. That's not good. So, Nick decided to take on a mission that would raise both he and his city's morales. On a February 2020 broadcast of MSNBC's The Beat with Ari Melber, Nick declared Manchester, New Hampshire's hidden superlative to the world. What does everyone need to try when they're in New Hampshire? Everyone needs to try the chicken tenders. This is the chicken tender uh, capital of the country. Didn't know Did you that. know that? I yeah. didn't know that. And with the claim out there on a national broadcast, Nick could get the ball rolling. Enlisting Didon Leon Designs to create the bright yellow t-shirt that would act as the initiative's proud flag, he released it to the public in December of 2022. It was only a matter of time before the world learned of Manchester's claim to fried fowl fame. But was its claim legitimate? For a city to become the chicken tender capital of the world, it takes more than just a single restaurant churning out top-tier attendees. When two Puritan backroom employees bought a restaurant across town and brought the classified recipe with them, it started a chain reaction that spread chicken tenders across Manchester like wildfire. After the break, the 10 detour travels to its next destination, and Nick gets serious. Like I feel, I feel confident in what this is and could be. Hey folks, it's Kevin Pang. You know, when I tell people I work at America's Test Kitchen, they assume I have the answer to questions like, what should I bring to a friend's barbecue? Or what should I pack for my kid's lunch? But what do I know? I'm just a podcast host. Hey, Kevin. Just who I need. It's our amazing test cook, Olivia Counter. I got you. Her mangoes, they can be used in just about anything. I mean, yeah, they're my favorite fruit, but they go in anything? Really? Yeah, the sweet and tangy flavors are the perfect accent in Cook's Country's seared salmon with mango mint salsa. If you like fruity and refreshing desserts, mangoes brighten up Cook's Illustrated's mango, kiwi, and blueberry pavlovas. And you can let them stand out, the star of the show, and my personal favorite, Amki Lassi, or our take on Mango Lassi. Savory, sweet, refreshing, mangoes fit in without blending in. Unless you blend them, then they blend in. Learn more about the versatility of mangoes at mango.org. And now, back to our story. How's it going? How many tenders come in a small side order? We're now at Goldenrod Restaurant Drive-In on Candia Road in Manchester. Richard Rich Weber and Ron DeBurro own the place, but first cut their teeth working at the Puritan Backroom. Rich was in the kitchen as a head chef, manning the saute station, and Ron was out front, making ice cream and managing the window workers. Goldenrod was already an established summer favorite. On the road to the beach, as everyone says, right off Route 101 where Manchester residents begin their drive to the coastline. 
Goldenrod was originally owned by Albanian-Americans George and Nick Spiro, who opened it in 1951. The brothers had just gotten back from serving in World War II when they decided to open a candy shop, a recurring theme. Goldenrod Candy Kitchen got its kicks slinging sweet treats for a few years until it dawned on the brothers that, right on the road to the beach, people might want ice cream and hot dogs. The Spiros converted Goldenrod into a drive-in and eventually sold the shop to a man named John Stavropoulos in the early 80s. When Rich and Ron took over at the turn of the new millennium, George Spiro still worked on the grill five days a week, and John Stavropoulos continued to work for another five years to ensure a smooth passing of the torch. But still, Rich and Ron wanted to do it their way. So they served uh, frozen chicken tenders when we took over, and they were selling about 40 pounds a week. And when we took over, we went over to the Puritan to make sure it was okay with them that we did fresh and used this very similar recipe to what they have. And they said, no problem, you're all the way across town, good luck to you. And now in our busy weeks, we sell 3,500 pounds. Implementing fresh meat and using the Puritan's coveted tender recipe spurred Goldenrod's new owners to a hot start. But Arthur Pappas remembers things a little differently. And you gave them permission, right? Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> I just did it. Well, what I got to say, I didn't have a... What we should have done is put a patent on our way back when 74 when we invented it. Mm. That would have been cool. At least they keep the name. The chicken they're going to have to call it something else. Yeah. Uh, but then you wouldn't be here today. Uh, Regardless of the semantics, Arthur isn't too upset. The Puritan claimed to sell the most chicken tenders in the state, and with Rich and Ron's status as backroom alumni, Arthur didn't harbor any ill will. It wasn't like my, an enemy of mine is doing something to undercut me. You know, it's like, we're selling as many as we need to sell here anyway, so we can only sell so many. Rich and Ron may have taken the Puritan's recipe years ago, but Goldenrod's tenders are definitively different from the backrooms. They're still mouthwateringly delicious, but undeniably different. For starters, there's the two coatings. The breading on Goldenrod's tenders clings a little tighter to the chicken tender than the back rooms. And there's the duck sauce, thicker, far more akin to a classic sweet and sour, and using applesauce rather than apricots. Then, of course, is the bird itself. It's a smaller piece of meat, a fact that can't be chalked up to opinion or palate. As opposed to the behemoths sometimes served at the back room, Goldenrod's tenders are sized down and a bit more, well, tender. Talking to Rich, he explained that Goldenrod switched chicken distributors a couple of years ago, leaving poultry products, what the backroom uses, for Purdue. Poultry products tenders weigh in somewhere between two and three ounces on average, while Purdue's tendies clock between an ounce and an ounce and a half. It sounds negligible, but it makes a big difference. Rich explains. On chicken tenders, there's, um, you can get them clipped, you can get them unclipped, there's a little tendon on the end, and this came with no tendon on the end, and I think it's like every three or four pieces have a tendon going through the middle. So you don't have to pull it out or do anything when you're eating it. Rich said that certain fanatics prefer Goldenrod's tenders because of the lack of tendon. It's a different eating experience, not having to chew through the added gristle. Sure, their breading is ever so slightly different, their duck sauce a tad bit thicker, 
But in Rich's eyes, the biggest difference maker is the size. And Goldenrod isn't the only place that hangs their hat on a smaller bird. At another stop on our crawl, Costa Charlie Trupakis, owner of Charlie's of Goffstown, was adamant about his decision to offer a smaller tender. I'm gonna tell you guys the secret. It's nothing about the sauce. Everybody puts it in pineapple juice. Everybody knows that goldenrod pineapple juice. But I buy the most expensive tender that you can put out there. It's called the petite tender from a small bird. They're one ounce or smaller, but they're the most tender there is. And nobody wants to pay those prices. You know what the Puritan does? They buy the jumbo tender, the biggest yep. tender available from the biggest bird, and they have a machine cut them in different pieces. That's why you get all kinds of different ends. You'll get that little uh, cartilage piece. Sometimes it sticks out right because they don't buy them clipped because that costs more money. Charlie is something of the new kid on the block in Manchester's tenders race, or at least he's viewed that way compared to the deep roots of the Puritan and Goldenrod. Opening in his current location on Pennard Street in 2021, he first started Charlie's three years before that out of a mobile gas station just a mile down the street. At that time, he was just coming into the food fold again. He'd spent 26 consecutive years running a pizza joint in nearby Pembroke, and he needed something of a breather. It was during his long stint in Pembroke that he formulated his distinct chicken tender recipe. He found that he preferred the succulent, smaller tender to that of the backroom's bigger bird. There's also Charlie's undeniable ingenuity. He wouldn't settle on using the same recipe on a smaller cut of meat. He wanted something completely born from his imagination, a Trupacus original. Let's, let's try to make it better. Mm-hmm. I like doing that. I like finding something that's popular and saying, yeah, it's okay. But you know what? Let's do something to it. Let's make it better. Let's put a twist on it. And uh, I think ours are better. Charlie started grinding down all sorts of wild ingredients to incorporate into the chicken's breading. From Ritz crackers and coconut to Doritos and Cap'n Crunch, Charlie always wondered how he could make the city's beloved food even better. That's all we hear. It's like... The Puritan chicken tenders, chicken tenders, chicken tenders. And so as a, or as a cook or a chef or someone who loves food, you want to find out what's happening. You want to recreate something. You're like, I can do that. I don't have to go to the Puritan and buy that because they sell chicken tenders at the store. Now, you know, they sell the raw tenders. So you're like, let me just buy some and see if I can make them. Innovation, after all, is nothing new for Manchester folk. Charlie comes from a long line of Manchester innovators that stretches all the way back to the Amiskeague Mill days. That Yankee ingenuity lives on today in its long line of esteemed and imaginative fried fowl. Take two other stops on Nick and I's tender crawl, for example. The Red Arrow Diner, the 24-hour, 101-year-old Manchester staple, and the Shaskeen Pub and Restaurant, where Nick cut his teeth as a comic are adored downtown spots that both serve new-age tenders. Nick considers Red Arrow's offering a dry tender, covered in a crunchier breading but still marinated in that clandestine pineapple juice. The Shaskeen, on the other hand, dunks their chicken in a Harp Irish lager and Magner's Irish cider combination before coating it in a secretly seasoned breading. And neither restaurant serves their tenders with duck sauce. If Nick's initiative is to have any credibility, there has to be a wider variety than just the tried-and-true originals, even if those originals set the standard. 
Throughout our time together, Nick repeated over and over again that his goal wasn't to elevate any one tender over the rest of the pack. Instead, he wanted to initiate, quote, a rising tide that raises all ships. I don't necessarily think there is a best. You can have a favorite. You can have your preferences. I don't, you, you aren't truly from Manchester unless you have strong opinion about chicken tenders. <laughs> He also believes that celebrating so many different community hangouts will only increase people's pride in being from Manchester, living in Manchester, and spending time at locally owned Manchester establishments. Nick hopes to uplift these small but mighty strongholds, where you're enjoying a meal cooked by your neighbors that makes your day just that much better. He believes spreading and being aware of that joy could kick off an endlessly positive domino effect. We're a fantastic city that has continuously reinvented itself, that continuously uh, evolves. You know, we were a textile industry. That changed. In the early 2000s, we revitalized Manchester's downtown when the arena was built. It'd be great to see more things in the arena. Let's, how can we do that? I'll tell you where it can start as individuals. Let's start thinking more positively. Let's stay joyful. Let's embrace ourselves, you know, yeah. instead of beating ourselves up. With a clear mission, Nick continued his media run in December 2022 by selling his chicken tender tea and calling further attention to his tender initiative. He appeared on Boston's WBZ 1030 News Radio with Matt Shearer. Why would I get a tender? I'm from Manchester. I'm from the chicken tender capital of the world now. No, that's not an official title for Manchester, New Hampshire, yet. Nick Lavalley is trying to change that. He got a feature in New Hampshire Magazine by yours truly. And he went before the Manchester mayor and board of aldermen to propose an official declaration. I just wanted to go on the record tonight uh, during public comment that on this sixth day of December in the year 2022 that there's one Manchester resident who feels that the Board of Aldermen and Mayor Craig should rightfully declare Manchester, New Hampshire, the chicken tender capital of the world. Just like Neil from the Shaskeen said, when talking about Nick, it's impossible to ignore his permeating genuine aura. He's nearly foaming at the mouth trying to spread a pride in place and celebration of Manchester culture. And he just so happens to do that with a chicken tender. I remember referring to it as a crusade of kindness in my early notes about him. He's unrelenting in his passion for civic pride and wants to see everyone as happy as he is to be from Manchester. In the same way Manchester tender chefs are always innovating on their delicious recipe, Nick is fervently striving to reinvent Manchester's public image. My whole thing is like, I just want people to take some time to focus on the positive things that makes the city special. Yeah. Because I don't like hearing, oh, you know, homeless and yeah. there's a drug problem or something. It's like, yes, we have problems like any other city does, yep. but there's lots of opportunity here and I feel like the tide's changing. Talking to restaurant owners and other Manchester residents, this popped up as a common theme. Sure, we have problems like any other city does, but why not focus on the good? Here's Travis, the Puritan backroom diehard. 
I always joke that Manchester has, in my opinion, a bit of a low self-esteem. It feels like it's been beaten up a few times. The good news is, is it typically rises and it typically thrives, and it's entering a period of that, in my opinion, right now. And Neil from the Shaskeen Pub. I mean, I've lived here for 20 years. I've seen the city grow phenomenally well. Uh, at the same time, I've seen the, a lot of disdain for it. People on all the time. Oh, you know, we have all these problems. Like, every city has their problems. You find me a city that doesn't have problems, I bet you their chicken tenders are Ours are good. For Manchester, you can't separate the good from the bad. They're intertwined. As historian John Clayton told me, the city's resilience runs deep and really becomes apparent in times of peril. In 1936, a year after the Amiskeeg Manufacturing Company filed for bankruptcy, a roaring flood came racing down the Merrimack River. It blasted the city in two and submerged the mills in water. The story goes that the federal government intervened and planned to auction off the entire mill yard. The citizens would have to raise $8 million in 10 days to buy back the assets. The mill yard's 17,000 former employees raised the money and set about repopulating the buildings with smaller, independent textile operations. Because of this, John calls Manchester the city that wouldn't die. He also calls it the biggest small town in America because of how tight-knit the community is despite being New Hampshire's biggest city. Both taglines still ring true today. The interconnectedness in this community. People don't believe it. It's like everybody knows everybody. And if I don't know you, I know somebody who knows you. And it's a one degree of separation versus the Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation. One degree. I can link you to one person. When I asked John if he knew Nick LaValle, I realized he wasn't kidding. He went to high school with Nick's dad, and Nick's mom used to cut his hair. Everybody really does know everybody. And in a community like that, people care about their neighbors. During my time with Nick, we stopped for at least five different conversations with people he knew and was eager to catch up with. It made sense why he was so devout in uplifting the city. These weren't just people, they were his friends. Nick views Manchester as a damaged but lovable place that deserves a better reputation for the many great things it's home to. And why not start with celebrating one of the city's most savory inventions, an invention that brings people together on the daily to gather at one of the city's local businesses to enjoy its delicious splendors. Sure, the chicken tender may not be the most refined and respected culinary offering, but who are we kidding? Manchester residents would probably be the first to say they aren't exactly the most refined and respected citizens either. That shouldn't stop them from being proud of who they are. As a serious student of Manchester history, there are those who will argue that really it's not important in the great scheme of things, uh, as opposed to manufacturing the first denim made for Levi's. But in a social sense, it's a big part of the culture here. It's a big part of who we are. And if you can't celebrate the chicken tender, what kind of a Scrooge McDuck are you? (laughs) After more than eight months of glad-handing and selling t-shirts, Nick finally got his happy ending. On Thursday, July 27, 2023, three years after he made his first declaration about chicken tenders on MSNBC, Nick received a special invitation. A huge crowd gathered at the Northeast Delta Dental Stadium, home of New Hampshire's minor league baseball team, the Fisher Cats. Only on this night, they'd go by a different name. Manchester Chicken Tender! 
Nick was invited to the mound to read this proclamation. Manchester, New Hampshire, we are the chicken tender capital of the world! Nick received a decree signed and stamped by Manchester Mayor Joyce Craig. In fancy bureaucratic cursive, the document is titled A Resolution. It states, among other things, that the tender, quote, is unquestioned in its superiority to the chicken nugget, is a common denominator capable of bringing people together to enjoy with duck sauce and friends, and was invented in Manchester, New Hampshire at the Puritan Backroom Restaurant in 1974, end quote. Of course, the document ends with the big cherry on top. Now, therefore, I, Joyce Craig, Mayor of Manchester, do hereby proclaim the city of Manchester, New Hampshire, to be the chicken tender capital of the world. It took a lifetime of passion, inordinate amounts of civic pride, and plenty of convincing, but Nick did it. He is, after all, from Manchester, the city that wouldn't die. Having that proclamation from the city cements that everything I was implying was true. (laughs) Like it's come true that we are the chicken tender capital of the world. This wasn't a joke. This wasn't just to be funny on the internet. Having that proclamation shows that it was sincere (laughs) and I'm so proud of it. And I'm so proud about the city coming together about it. Thanks to Caleb Jagoda for bringing us today's story, which he first wrote about in the February 2023 issue of New Hampshire Magazine. If you're not able to make it to Manchester, New Hampshire, the next best thing is to go to americasestkitchen.com to find our recipe on chicken tenders. If you like proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer, Caitlin Kelleher. I'm supervising producer, Caroline Rickard. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Alex Curran Cardarelli, and I'm also an associate producer. I'm Lindsay Palavoy, and I'm the TV and podcast intern. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Audio services are provided by Ultraviolet Audio, with sound design supervision by... Matt Boynton. Scoring, mixing, and sound design by... Anya Gzeshik. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds Composer Theme Music, additional music by Kyle Forster and Jordan Pearson. Ken Margolis. Is our director of post-production, and our director of production is... Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by... Sheila V. Kumar. Special thanks to Nick LaValle, John Clayton, Arthur Pappas, Rich Weber, Charlie Trupakis, Neil Brown, and the many Manchester restaurant owners who welcomed Caleb into the restaurants with open arms for this episode. Special thanks also to Emily Quirk and the good folks at New Hampshire Public Radio. Jack Bishop. Is the chief creative officer, and Dan Surratt is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors, The Mango Board and Plugra Premium Butter. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.